Okay, good morning, welcome back. We left off discussing the Geneva Convention and the international laws of engagement and warfare. I want to underscore again, despite the disclaimers, disclaimers never seem to stick, is that we're all for anything that can lessen the cruelty and the collateral damage and the general damage of warfare. So anything that helps, Kavaldik. What hurts is the fact that often our enemies don't follow it and we think we should, even though they're not. That's where it gets a little bit spotty. And shouldn't be Nagea, but the example, I think, the last minute of this year right before Yantiv, was the audacious, ridiculous, insane expectation of the press that we should tell them when we're planning a surprise operation in Gaza. <laughs> and they had tainas, or maybe, you never know what's made up and what's real, maybe they just had to feign that they had tainas to go along with the plan, that why didn't you tell us you weren't going in when you said you were, when they claimed afterwards the strangest part of the whole, uh, I would say humorous, but there's nothing humorous about uh, war, was that afterwards they said, yeah, it was a mistake, it was a miscommunication. That was their answer to the international community. It was a miscommunication. Of course it was a miscommunication. It was a uh, very focused, deliberate miscommunication because they're bound to look like they're playing by the rules. I didn't imagine though, and I still don't think these are part of the rules because then you can't have any covert operation and you can get rid of spies. And there are people who say Taka shouldn't have spies or spy agencies, shouldn't have any secrets. That guy who's uh, still under arrest in London, he, he holds like that. Oh, well, yeah, he, yeah, he holds, he shouldn't have any secrets. <laughs> yeah, how can you, that's a free country, how can you have any secrets? So... If we didn't have Yetzirahs, and if all of humanity was at peace, and all the wonderful things that the Navi speaks about, Lassad Lovo, then Yitaka won't need a spy agency. Everybody's going to tell the truth. It's not going to be any war. And you don't need espionage. You don't have to protect yourself. But we're not there yet. So to a degree, the question is what that degree is in terms of government secrecy. That's a, an impossible task to figure out and a moving target. And it's always too much. And... Yaakov, we were once discussing on the way home from Sheer that, uh, when was that, in the 60s, there was a certain FBI director who, you know, they kind of had too much power and he knew everything about everybody else and therefore he was able to threaten everybody, about, right? We were told. Yeah, so I think we'd agree that that's too much, but it's never going to be a perfect balance and we're in gullus and the world hasn't had its tikkun yet and that's the way it goes. The reason we brought this up is because this application has a svara behind it. In Gideon's victory, he captures the two kings, and he tells them, pretty befairish, that I really wouldn't have license to kill you because by convention and international law, they don't kill the captured kings. However, since you, when you met my brother, didn't have Rachmanis and you killed him because you thought he was of royal blood and you killed him even though he had nothing to do with the battle and you were wrong and you should have been more careful even Lishitascha that you thought he was royal blood. So capture him, don't kill him. So since you didn't play by those rules, 
I'm not going to play by the rules because I'm now a Galadam, which first of all shows us that when the enemy is not playing by the rules, you don't have to play by the rules. That's my first point. And many of you commented after the shear that the Svarvi here perhaps would be for the original law that they usually kept, is they kept the kings alive because Kavanah Malchus, they wanted to be a reciprocal type of relationship where at least you had Kavanah Malchus even in battle, even when you captured the king. And it was also a way to parade the kings around to show your might and your victory. And same reason the Romans, unfortunately, took back the Yidna, took back the leaders of the revolt, Alive because they wanted to parade them around. So the Svaratadafka keep the kings alive, that would strike the fear in the hearts of the others who are thinking of fighting. And that's why, by convention, this became the custom, so to speak. And he's explaining why he's violating the custom or the custom doesn't apply because they violated it first. So there is room for that. And we're all for it if it saves lives and lessens the level of atrocities that are going on, and that's wonderful. But he explained to them, and they didn't say anything back, because he was right, and he was the Galadam, and therefore he's going to get rid of them. And that's where we left off right before Yadav. Yeah? Where did the custom uh, begin? When Moshe fought the kings, it was Yadav. Well, there's a of Los Achaya Kol Neshama. No, the Yeshua was Lasachai Kalnasham. Moshe Rabban already was conquering Eber Yardin. Eber Yardin wasn't really Lasachai Kalnasham, even though they're next to Tate Yisrael. But if the king keeps fighting and he's out to get you, like he's about to drop a mountain on you, like Egmel Chabosha, so you have to kill him. So Moshe Rabban jumped up and he killed him. Uh, with the spear, there's a, it's an allegory that uh, whole, uh, that whole Medrash, perhaps, is also an allegory. And, um, but he killed him because he was a direct threat. So then that's clearly what they hear. They're not threatening anybody. He had captured them already. And they're POWs. And the minig had been that they just keep them on display. And these are the spars behind it. And he, he's agreeing. I, I would have uh, done that. But they're not part of Allah Sahaya Kalnasham over here. It's in the Mijanim. They're out during Kuslars. So he would have done that, but he's not going to because of what they did. So let's go back to those Psukim. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They did keep it. That's what, yeah. Yeah, it would be a Chil Hashem otherwise. Uh, there's no reason not to keep the international law if it makes some sense. This example with telling the press you're going in on a campaign is a little ridiculous, and I don't think it's even on the books, even from the Geneva Convention or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't sound right. I'm not exactly sure still what they were thinking. It, uh, yeah, I mean, just, but why did, there should have been major, I wasn't following it, there should have been a major pushback, like, what's your Havamina? Nobody asked the New York Times, what's your Havamina? There wasn't an editorial with such a title. Uh, I guess they didn't come to defend the, uh, <laughs> the army about to go in, but that was ridiculous. Yes? Oh, sure. That whole fake army under General Patton, no? Yeah. That all, yeah. That's, that's called espionage. That's just a fake right and go left. That's, that's what it's all about. Uh, Eigmel Chaboshin was a threat in Ruchnius. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu was nervous. The man obviously has schusim, 
he's been alive so many years. And he, so Moshe Ben understood that he had to deal with him, and that's why he was nervous. Maybe he has a lot of schusim, and maybe I can't. Akash Baruch says, no, his schusim were all paid back by Olam and that's why he had the power and the dominion and the longevity, and he had everything. And now you, Dafka, you, Moshe Rabbeinu, should finish him off. That's why he took him on. And that's not, again, he wasn't looking to start up with anybody. He wasn't looking to kill anybody. who was hired for the job to protect the borders, uh, wasn't just protecting the borders. He was doing this job for anti-Semitism. He wanted to get rid of Klai Yisrael. He had a personal vendetta. That's why he's in the Medjish picking up the mountain and wants to drop it on them. And he was uh, not just doing this for the money. Samosha Benu was taking him on as defending class. So it wasn't just a, a battle and happenstance. They're coming by and he's hired to protect the door. So that's why that, that was a unique uh, situation. So let's go back to these uh, Sukkim. We're in Peri Ches. And let's go back to Yud Ches, which we saw already. Vayemer el Zevach ve'el Tzamuna. Ches Yud Ches. Vayemer el Zevach Tzamuna. Eifa anoshem esheharaktem bisavar. Those people that I heard about that were killed by you, so he's sort of asking them to admit it, although apparently he had a separate report that it was indeed them. And they talk admitted, they said, we killed them as they looked exactly like you, and they had the trappings of Malchus, and, and that's why we were against them, and we got rid of them, and he proceeds to tell them that they weren't stomp people who looked like royalty. They were my brothers. And now I'm a girl, Adam. And that was a bad move on their part. Yutes. Vayemar achai b'nei imihem chai Hashem lu hachayisim asam lo harakti eschem. And he spells it out. By international convention, I would not be killing you now. And it shouldn't be chil Hashem I'm announcing. That's why I have license to kill you now. He turns to Yeser his Bachar. Now, Gidon, as we will see, goes on after he retires. He will have 71 children, 71 sons. That's seven Ta'ilam Haba, that's times 10. <laughs> so, if you weren't here yesterday, you were. So, that's, uh, that's a legend, but all going to Ta'ilam Haba anyway. So he's going to have a very large family. His Bukhar, at this point, who are main Bukhar, and the Bukhar was expected to learn the art of warfare, and this is part of his chinuch and part of his training, even though very soon we're going to see the Klai Yisrael offers him the malucha for him, for his children, for his grandchildren, the Yelam Vod, and he's going to flatly, quickly refuse. That's an interesting point to keep in mind, because why is he training him? He doesn't plan on extending the Malchus to his Bukhar. The answer is, he doesn't plan it. He didn't plan on being the Shafit in the first place. All the Shafitim were ad hoc. That's why he didn't want to take it as a Malucha. But Klai Yisrael has needs, and he filled those needs, Baruch Hashem, in a very incredible way. And he realized that there are still some people who don't like us, and it might be necessary to fight, and therefore he's training him. So he's not training him, Dafka, to be Melech. So he wants him to do the mitzvah, and the Galadam, whether it's a mitzvah, whether it's a shush over here, it might be a mitzvah to show that the uh, Yiddish Adam is not cheap, and to take revenge for what they did, which was a war crime, and he's spelling that out. So he wants to give the honor to his Bukhar and thereby train him as well. <laughs> 
And that's shot in this request in Pesach. And he wasn't eager, that's an understatement. This Yesabachar was a relatively young man. As I say, he will go on to have 71 children. He didn't have them yet. A lot of them were after he was off his active combat uh, duty, so to speak. And he was a relatively young man, and he was pushed afraid. He was not used to war. And the two kings in front of him, in chains as POWs, were quite menacing in their appearance. They didn't become king of the city-states in Midian for being nice guys. So he's a face, an 18-year-old, 20-year-old kid. And his father, the Shefet, says, okay, I'm giving you the honors as part of your training. And he, Pushit, can't even get his sword out. He's shaking so much. Understandably so. But they're in chains and they're prisoners. Answer is they're prisoners, but picture each one is uh, a mini Eigmel Habashan, and it's uh, scary. So he wasn't trying to disobey a direct order from the Shefet and not be Mekayim Kibarav. At the same time, it just pushed it, it didn't work. You have to be able to, unlike machine guns and missiles and drones where you press buttons, you got to be able to wield a sword and the sword itself is heavy. You got to get it out of the sheath, and that already, you can't be shaking. And you got to know how to use it. And the Pasha couldn't do it. So these two kings are standing there. They're pretty nervous themselves. They're about to die, and they're now very afraid that Gideon, part of this chinuch moment, is going to talk to him, calm him down, and said, don't worry, my son, I'll help you, this is how you get it out, and I'll show you I'm standing here, and he's going to do it, which is going to be exponentially worse for them, because the only thing worse than getting killed by the sword of Gideon is getting killed by the sword of his son who doesn't know what he's doing, because he's going to botch it up, and he doesn't have the kayak push it in his hand, and he's not used to it, and it's going to be a slower job, and they're going to spell that out. So they're going to bring up two tainas. This is a, a very sophisticated conversation. Here we have the commander-in-chief, the shefet of Israel, and the two kings who were captured. And he's, first he has, you know, the attorney's picture are standing there. And he's like, well, by international law, I shouldn't be able to, they probably brought that up. He said, yes, that would have been the, the law, but you guys killed my full brother, and therefore Yechai Misa, and I'm going to have my son do the honors. And then he is finding himself in a quandary because he can't really move and now they're worried that this is going to be torturous and they're not going to have a quick death and it's not going to be Bukovitic. So they come up with two tainas. I don't know if they came with their attorneys. They captured their attorneys also, but the attorney said, number one, if you're going to kill us the Galadam, kill us the normal way and it should be quick. Number two, it's only Bukovitic that the opposing king should kill us, not one of the untrained or not yet trained underlings. And they're going to spell that out. It's a very interesting uh, legal debate over here. They turned to Gid and they said, a request. And if you kill us, we're not going to have as much pain. And before Hashem that it's more of a covet to die in your hands because you're the giver and not your son. So that was their last request. 
Vayakam Gidon Vayareg Zeva Vesamuna, and Gidon agreed because the other choice was to start training his son on the spot. And the, with all the training, if you don't know how to handle a sword and you're not as strong as Gidon is, it's not going to go that quickly, and it won't be Bacavadik. And this part of the, the second time is the interesting, doesn't say in the Farish of the Pasuk, part of the international law, so to speak, is that at least if you're not keeping the opposing kings alive, at least give them somewhat of a dignified Misa. Not that they deserved it per se as Rashaim, but that was the custom in war. And therefore he agreed. I always repeat this when we get there. We're going to have a few more battles. It's perfectly legal in international law. And not in that order. The booty of the battle is yours. It's not Geneva. It's not a hider nowadays. The international law assumes that you don't take it, and the army, when they fight in Eretz Yisrael, and I think they're right over here, they don't ask that many shaylas, unfortunately, but they happen to be right. When they go in, they don't take anything because you got to be smart, and if and they're not here to take somebody's computer or satellite dish in Gaza, that's not going to make anybody wealthy. So they're actually trying to be careful not to destroy and not to take things, because what for? And the international understanding, again, only by the Western powers who keep the international laws, is you don't take the booty. But that's a relatively recent thing, and that does not affect over here. There's nothing immoral about it. Al-Pi'alacha, it's 100% yours. And Fakir, it's the Kiddush Hashem to show this is what you got from the battle. And it will be used, this is not the only example, we'll see in a few Sukim, it's going to be used in a bigger way where Giddens is going to try to make something in terms of a monument. Right now, he takes the Saran. Saran are these necklaces that are shaped like a moon that they had not only around their necks, but around the necks of their camels. Picture the Mitzrayim when they went and chased Kaisrol to go to Kriyas Yamsuf. And they, what? No, no. They, there was usually a token Akam over there anyway who can bevatel the Avodazar. David Melch used that time to time when he captured the crown of the opposing king. There's one famous Misa. And uh, it was Mavutal, and he did it to take it to show the Kish Hashem that it was the Kayach of Akash Baruch Hu and the Kedusha and the Siat they had, not David Melch's own uh, Kayachis. And he wanted to display that. And now there's nothing wrong with that. That's a positive thing. If they? Uh, no, no, we're going to go on to talk about a lot of jewelry right now. And they came very bedecked. That was the Minigan battle, like you see from its rhyme already. The, the people, the officers, certainly the wealthier ones, the more powerful ones, but they. Um, put these things on their animals, as the Mitzrayim did on their Susim. Just instead of Susim, it's easy to drive through the desert and be a nomadic tribe or get nomadic mercenaries to join you. Uh, mostly with Midjan, but this is the way they, the, the Pusik's even to say, they were Yishmaelites, which I know what that means. They were from the same family. There's a, a Dian over here. Is this Midjan, Midjan, Midjan from the Bnei Keturah? So it sounds like they're from Bnei Keturah. And the mode of dress, certainly for the wealthier class, and the officers was to have Jewelry and nose rings. So they're going to have a lot of very fancy golden nose rings. And um, 
it sounds uncomfortable to us to fight a battle in those rings. Sounds uncomfortable to walk around in them. But this was the mini, getting used to anything. And they had a lot of them. So right now we're talking about still the necklaces around the camels. But the camels were the uh, tanks of the time. Those were their horses that just easier to navigate in the Middle East with camels rather than horses. Although there were plenty of horses and the Romans will bring elephants. So all sorts of ways to get around. So... It's not a chiddush. The reason it's mentioning it now is to the preamble to the next few psukim that he's going to also take other things which are his. He's not taking it, and he's going to use it to create something. So Pasuk is reminding us that this is part of the Kiddush Hashem, that you display and you take this and to show the siyat hashmai that you had in the battle. So this itself is not a chiddush. That's what I'm pointing out. Taking the booty is not a chiddush, it's not a kula. It's perfectly... Uh, uh, understood in battle, and it's apialocha perfectly fine in that context. Regarding the Samayas about being a Vodadara, the Abarunel says that this was meant as a shield for the necks of the. Yeah, which is a good idea if you're, if you're a camel or a human and you have something metal around your neck, it does protect your neck. And if you're dealing with somebody who's wielding a sword against you, he probably will go for your necks. Yeah, that, that makes... But that just means it was even more valuable because they're talking about heavy, heavy articles over here. And um, we'll see. They, besides all that, they were wearing regular jewelry, which I don't think the nose ring was protecting their nose. So uh, that was just uh, here for the jewelry aspect. Yeah? What's the of the Kenyan? So the Kenyan is interesting. It's, it's assumed there's double pushet all over Chumash. But a short soundbite for the lumdis is if you have shlita over their bodies and you're allowed to kill them in battle, which you certainly are, then kosher can you have shlita on their moment. That's the short answer. No, you don't have to come on to that. It's more like it's part of the heter slash mitzvah to get rid of them, or if it's the conquest of Zion Umas and things like that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a kavachimer of sorts. Pasek chav beiz. ish Yisrael al now, the people were so happy with this uh, Nais, the series of Nisim, and with his obvious Yat and his leadership. This is unusual. He's the uh, sixth Shafet, and they've had Shafetim before. They realized, no doubt, all the Shafetim until now were ad hoc. Ad hoc means that you don't need a leader because you're on the level of a Hebamei Shafetim. They're able to be shaved it themselves, which is usually a compliment, unless it's a disaster, which happened a few times. I keep repeating that theme, because when we get to the disaster, you'll understand. But right now, they didn't really need a shaved because they never had one. That is a hedron, that people passing on the shaylas, and they didn't have a standing army unless they needed one. And then the shaved appeared, he was a tzaddik, he was offered a navi, and then he disappeared, exited quickly, because he didn't want the cover, and didn't want the title, he didn't want the power, and he was in it for complete lishma to save Chal And that's the godless of the system over here. So they never even offered it to us Neil Ben-Kanaz, or to Devera. Devera would have been a problem. We had enough of an issue trying to solve how she even was ad hoc, okay? So we had various Malchem, and Barak was there. Barak is listed in many of as the Shafid with Devera. And then they, quote-unquote, retired. Devara didn't retire. She was uh, helping Klai Yisrael afterwards. Also, just Mitam, the military uh, leader, it wasn't necessary anymore. So they never even offered it, but they understood that. Here, this was a tremendous Yeshua. The people were 
not on the Madrega that they were before. I think that plays in over here, because otherwise why is this offer coming now? And perhaps he's going to flatly refuse because of this, but perhaps they felt that they wanted the king in a king form with the pomp and the ceremony, and there is a mitzvah chumash, or there might be a mitzvah chumash, that's the Machalikis Tanaim and Amaraim, but for the right reasons. And it's clear in the Sukkot Sanhedrin, even according to the Mandama, there's a mitzvah to have a king. It's only if you ask for the right reasons, not because you like the pomp and the ceremony or because you want to be more like the Umazalem. So, Mufashim don't say what I'm saying now, but I think this is in the background. They don't not say it. It might be obvious that the Madrega wasn't the same. Maybe under Asneel ben Kanaz and even under Devera, they had done full truvas. They understood, of course, we're not going to ask you and your child to start a shoshal samalucha. First of all, he's in the wrong shavit. So, not going to work anyway. It's So you say, who does not an Isser unless you start with Yehuda. They didn't get to Yehuda yet. So they meant you, your son, your grandson, as they spell out. And that's it. We don't mean Leel and Vod. Let's give them that. Even though it could have been just Amratzis, they wanted him. But even if you assume that, it wasn't necessary. And they're asking for it wasn't necessary. They just wanted to show a Karas and they felt he's doing such a good job, even though Yeser didn't really, Yeser Bechari didn't really perform just now, but okay, he's young and experienced, but we'll get them into it. And they were trying to show Akar Satoiv. Lamaisa, the request, I can't say it was not proper, but it was out of line enough that he didn't even debate it. He's going to say no very quickly, and that's due to his sitkus and his anivis. Most people, when they're offered the title of king, don't say no that quickly. On a good day, they say, let's discuss it. And he wouldn't hear of it, and he, not only would he not hear of it, but he gives him shtaka musr. He's going to say, Hashem malkechem. He says, you don't need me. We're the period of Shevtim, and we don't have a melech, because when we do, he's going to be from Yehuda, and we don't need one yet. And therefore, this is the way it's going to stay, and Hashem is willing over you. So he gives him a little musr out the request. The irony is going to be, which I don't think we're going to get there today, but the irony is going to be they're trying to ostensibly show Hakara Satoiv and what's going to happen in the next parak, the period of the Shaiftim. If you ask anybody in the street, or wake them up in the middle of the night, what are the two worst disasters in the whole period of the Shaiftim? And everything else is pretty good that they did Shuva, Pelagish Begiva, and Pesel Micha. There's a third, which is not highlighted in my mind. I think it's up there. It's a little different, so that's why it's not on that list. But it's the whole next peric. He will, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'll explain this more next week. But one of his sons, who's the son from the Pelagish, the only one, the son from the Pelagish, is Avimelech, will be Avimelech. He's not born yet. And he will have a ruthless uh, bloodbath of a takeover. And uh, he gets rid of all his brothers. That's a lot of brothers, like 70, 69. And then he becomes Shafid, and he's Shafid for three years. And the Mepharshim even point out that once he became Shafid, he did the job a Shafid's supposed to do in terms of keeping control and running a government. So he was a Shtikel Balchuv at that point. But certainly the only Shafid of all the whole list that's going to be. And the question is how that happened, why that happened. We're way ahead of ourselves. We'll get to it maybe in, in two weeks. But it's ironic just planting the seed now that they're trying to show tremendous Hakaras for everything he did for Kalei Israel, and there are people not that far in Shechem who are going to aid in a bet of Imelech and help wipe out the family. That's not exactly Hakaras HaToyv. So what, what happened over there is what has to be explained, even though it's not fully explainable. Yeah?
Yeah. And he saw that. Correct. What are you talking about? Hashem Malkeichem. It's not about a bus of Adam, right? Right, right. That's exactly the point. He noted some again. It's not a, wasn't Avera to ask. It's, even if I'm down the Kaschus, that there wasn't Amaratzis, that, that he wasn't Shev Yehuda, which he wasn't Shev Manasha. Uh, let's assume they knew that. They didn't mean forever. It meant you, your son, your grandson, and that's it. But it was still wrong because they're all enamored. This is the first Shev we have. Keep in mind that they didn't do full tshuva before the battle. By the very they did, and Asnil ben Kanaz was the first. I'm just there a few in between. They were at the point they deserved with still a lot of Misarachimim, everything has Misarachimim mixed in, as we learned from Parshish Barishas. Here, Gidon asked for a nace, they were still of Devarazar. And they're going to revert back quicker than the other times. I'm just giving you what's coming up in the next few weeks. So he saw that weakness and he said, no, no, let's get this straight. The Hashem made this nace. We didn't even deserve it. Hashem HaMalkeichem, just be good and you don't need me or my son and I'm going home. And he retires and he goes home and he just walks away from the whole thing. He was not involved afterwards. Let's just see his answer. Then we'll go to the Peleyeitz. Let's assume that's Dafka, even though you could say they're not going to list the next 10 generations, but I, I can't imagine they didn't know that that wouldn't work, but he's not from Shevet Yehuda. You saved us from Midjan, and we want to show our curse. So, not happening, as we would say, and you have to be a real tzaddik and a real anav, which Gidon was, and the meat that you're going to pick from Gidon over the last 10 weeks of discussing Gidon is his anivas. He kept, he was such an anav, he kept asking Kosh Baruch me? Really me? And he kept asking for, and Hashem gave him simon after simon after simon, only because the anivas is very real, and here it shines through, which is exactly what we want in the leader, even though a melech, a real melech, can't display that degree because he's got also problem malchus, but he's not a melech. He says, I'm only here for the job. The job is done. Have a good evening. And he walks away. Before he walks away, he's going to make one last request, completely the shame Shemayim. This request will end up, unfortunately, being a disaster, despite his sitkus. And we will discuss that next week. Let's go to the Peliates. And we will start a new shtickle today. What? So we're going to have to... People forget... That's what's going on in the back uh, of their mind. They didn't realize that fully. Uh, you know, you'll ask Akasha, when we get to the disaster, you'll see. People forget quickly. That's part of the problem. You can feel, it's a human trait, unfortunately. You can feel Hakarasa Tov at the moment, and then next week, either feel I showed Hakarasa Tov. Because they, the Pasuk says, you saved us from Midjun. We'd like to show that. Okay. Okay, so you're, uh, you wouldn't have been part of that committee. Uh, so uh, you're, you're explaining his answer. But uh, uh, the reason I'm, I'm pointing out, I'm planting the seed, right? I'm planting the seed of that curse of type. Number first, we'll point out later the tremendous contrast, the very disturbing uh, contrast. That's why I'm pointing it out, but we'll get to that hopefully in the next week or two. Uh, let's go to page Reish Mem Aleph in the first part of the Sefer of the Peleates. If uh, anybody listening... Uh, online doesn't have a Peleyades yet. Uh, let me know. I can scan in for uh, next week. But we're still scrambling from Yantif, so scrambling is a good word for introductions. The bottom piece on Tirda, 
So Tirda is what we davened about often in the past weeks of Yom Narayim, that uh, we not only did Shuvah, we asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give us Yat Deshmaya to do the Malachas HaKadosh, and to daven, and to learn, and to do all the things we're supposed to do, and help us do that by removing Tirdas. So this is a pretty crucial subject. It's so crucial, we could have got the Yom Narayim, but I would say that about anything we do during the year. So you can't fit everything into Yom Narayim. Getting rid of tear this completely is impossible because Akash Baruch Hu designed El Mazer that there's always the Yitzhahara of something pulling us away from what we should be doing, and we call those tear this. What we asked for in davening, and it was all over davening of Yom Naram, and, and the only excuse we have, if you notice, we made a couple of requests, Nagea to Panos, I don't know if anybody noticed that. A couple things in davening, a couple of hundred. Why is that so highlighted? The answer is because the number one excuse of many people is that I just need my basics and I just get rid of the tear done and all the tefillahs say that um, I need the things to be able to focus on the Avedis Hashem. The inherent problem, this is not a taina on the, on the tefillah, on the words of the tefillah, of course, is that Chazal tell us, and if you didn't see the Chazal and you were honest and living in this world, you'd see it, and Chazal are here to tell us you're seeing it correctly, is that, unfortunately, the matrix of the various situations is not that if you made a lot of money, you have less tears. Not necessarily the case. As a matter of fact, it's often an inverse relationship. And the Gemara says, the Gemara says, I was poor, were you more poor than Hillel? So I was rich. And the Gemara is giving examples where the poor, very poor, which we don't have, they don't have what to eat, had tears, they got to make their daily bread. And then the wealthy were busy with their assets and Marba Nechassam, Marba Daigis, and their social obligations and all the other things that go along with it, and the frivolous activity that goes along with being able to go on vacation. If you don't have the money to take such a vacation, you're not going to have the Yitzhar to do it because it's flatly impossible. That's not a taina on vacations per se. It's a question of how often, what the venue is, and how far you're going and how much time it takes and how much money you're spending. In terms of the Baltashchis, all those are tirdis. That's a tirdis from a lot of money. And then there are tirdis where you can't pay the bills. And then there's a happy medium, which Shlomo talks about. So, you'll ask me, Akasha, we just had yesterday uh, mentioned Panasa, but it mentioned the Oshiva covered. So there's room for that also, but it's an Isayan, like everything in life. So with all the tefillahs, you can't expect to get rid of all the tirdis, because then you'd have to check your pulse. It's part of life. The question is, is there a... A Maila and Tefillah to ask Hashbach for Siat Shemayat to help you remove as many tears as can be removed. The answer is, of course, and we say it many times in davening. Because it's all about distraction. If a person is not from, he's not looking to do mitzvah, it's not about distractions, it's about fine tuning his Ashkafa Sachayim. We're talking about people who want to do the right thing, but they just find that uh, we're going to get to it manana, and it just uh, today is too busy. It's all about distractions. The, the, one word, tears. So there are tirdas that are unavoidable, and then there are tirdas that are avoidable if you just let go. And that's what this is about. Tirda, three lines in the bottom. Tirda, Dover hamafsid, kol havoida. That's a pretty jarring opening line. <laughs> that's why I gave such an introduction. Tirda, Dover hamafsid, kol havoida. You can have the best intentions, and you could have a plan, and tomorrow morning this is going to happen, that's where, and all of a sudden you have tirdas. So... 
the epitrophes in life, all the things you take care of, is that just as soon as I finish this short list, I'm going to get to what I'm doing. And that's why one of the Yanami discussed of Yam Naraim is when this Chassan asked Rabbi Chaskal Abramsky, he was a big master, a big learner already, and he was a Chassan, he went to Rabbi for a bracha. He says, I want to keep up my asmad, and I'm getting married, and there are a lot of tirdis. And so after the disclaimer, he says, uh, you don't need a bracha for me, just learn. He said, look, I, I've been around, and I'll give you just from life experience. The only way to beat the system with the tirdis, the Yitzhah, for the tirdis, as soon as you are able to just sit down and open up the Gemara and just start. With all the cheshpenis, when you get started, what you're going to do is just show up on time and get going. Otherwise, the Yitzhah will fill your head with all sorts of tirdis, and you'll start remember every single thing you're supposed to do, and most of the things on the list, if you're very from are mitzvahs. So somehow you only remember all the mitzvahs at the beginning of davening, at the beginning of Kriyashma, at the beginning of Shema Nesrei, and the beginning when you sit down to shear. And the rest of the day, you can't remember what you're supposed to be doing. But they, they all come with absolute clarity, and it brains, it pours on you when you're supposed to be doing something else. That's also a tier, even though it's tier de shal mitzvah. So that's why he says, tier du davra mafsid kalavayda, and if you don't learn how to block that out, it's not going to work. It's all about forcing yourself to have Yishevadas. And to understand that Hashem is running the world and Hashem will give you Siat Hashemaya if you know what to focus on. And when those worries creep up or those long lists creep up, you should try to we focus on Avas and Yiras Hashem, and that'll give you the bitachin to see it through at least for the next hour when you're not supposed to be focusing on it. The Yidma la Adam, la Eisek, la Viach, Elaf, Alfam, Dinari Zav. You knew this was coming. Elaf, Alaf, and made a lot of money. And Peliates loves giving Mishalim in terms of money. And his mashal over here is if the customer is in town for the next hour and he calls you, you can have a f- a million tirdis, but you know he's here for an hour. If you don't catch him now, you're not closing this deal. Somehow you will figure out how to get rid of all the tirdis and throw everybody out of your office and get off the phone and actually close the phone. And there are people actually, when they have a one-hour meeting with a customer, are able to not look at their texts. There are other types of uh, things that come in in various uh, social media, and they tina, people said this to me, they, 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 Mamish became Yetzirah, they can't get off. So I said, well, you can get off if you had a customer there for the next hour he needed your undivided attention, you'd figure out how to turn that thing upside down and close it. So, if you're about to make millions of dinaris of, top line, Puta, if somebody calls you and says, uh, just ignore the customer, I have a good deal for you, you can make 10 cents. So you'd have to be a shaita. Why would you give up what you're doing to make 10 cents? You can make a million dollars. You'd scream at the guy and tell him, I'm not open and I'm not available and leave me alone. So 
So what are you bothering me with putas for? I'm making a million dollars. So if the call of the hour right now is you have to dive in, right now you have to learn, right? that's your million dollars. So whatever the Yitzhak comes up with and any need, real or imagined, he's calling you away from a million dollars to make a dollar. That's not a very good deal. It's a losing proposition. And that's the idea over here. Ma gam she'emu yisa masa dvar Hashem. Hashem yisbarach yisa maso. Kaveh Hashem yachlichu kayach. Hashem will give you the kayach to get everything done in its proper time. It's Hashem will continue next week. The shir will continue tomorrow night. Upstairs at 10.30.